Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good Thursday afternoon, everybody. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by good friends at Sunbury Motors. Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hubble's Wharf. The story that was dominating on the eve of uh, the beginning of football practices. Uh, anybody who's playing September 1st will begin tomorrow and Penn State Ohio State would be two of those teams. Is the fact that uh, Urban Meyer was placed on administrative leave, paid administrative leave while they investigate this and let's go back to Zach Smith who is the wide receiver coach. Zach Smith by the way happens to be uh, the grandson of Earl Bruce. Earl Bruce is the one that gave Urban Meyer his start. So there obviously is going to be a fondness between the two. In uh, late July, this really started to surface as to what had gone on with Zach Smith and his ex-wife, Courtney Smith. Uh, Zach Smith has been with Urban Meyer almost every step of the way. Uh, at Florida, now at Ohio State. So at Big Ten Media Day, he was asked about the decision to remove Zach Smith and fire him from the staff. Did firing Zach now, was that, is it because any of this became public or is it because there was another incident that led to the latest protective order on Friday? Uh, I'm not going to get into that, Doug. It's uh, a very personal matter. Uh, the decision was made. I think the details that uh, you know I'm obligated to give, I gave. Uh, you're talking about people's lives, et cetera. So the decision was made. It's time to move forward. And um, we are in a public world. I try not to operate, especially when you're talking about personnel and people um, making things because it became public. But to say that doesn't have something to do with it, it does a little bit. I try to, I'm one of those ones that I really don't care about that. I try to stay focused on what's the most important thing, that's our players and our team. But I do understand the value of, it's the Ohio State University is bigger than all of us. And so you have to do what's right by them. And the timing, it wasn't just my decision, it was a group effort on several people that I rely on. It's interesting, uh, now that's the answer he gave on July 24th at Big Ten Media Day. The problem that he had was then after that press conference, you then have side press conferences. Well, you're obligated to stay there for a period of time. He could not walk away. And he got pressed pretty hard about this and gave, I think, what was deemed by many to be a series of unsatisfied answers about what happened. And... Now, he ended up firing him, and he ended up, by the way, hiring a former wideout and former Miami Dolphin, Brian Hartline. Uh, and this ended up being, uh, for him, uh, I mean, obviously a tough decision 
for him because of the long history. But the problem he has is how long did he know about this? I mean, that's the issue. How long did he know? I mean, could he have done this, done something about this earlier? Can't answer that question. That's what they're trying to find out there. When did he know? Well, according to Courtney Smith, quote, all the wives knew. Okay, all the wives knew. Well, that includes Shelly Meyer. And, in fact, she listed Shelly Meyer as a confidant in all of this. All right. This be this becomes a huge problem for Urban Meyer. The question is, how much are they investigating? And Reese Davis openly asked the question yesterday whether or not they are actually discussing separation. It's an interesting question. Because this is... It. It's interesting, Urban Meyer, one of the problems he got into at Florida, for example, he's he's a very loyal guy. So with Tim Tebow, extremely loyal, that's no issue. But he was very loyal to example for a guy like Percy Harvin. People around the program will tell you that his loyalty to Percy Harvin uh, ended up splitting that team apart and ended up becoming a problem. Um, you know, I did Urban's last game at Florida, which was the Outback Bowl with Penn State. I mean, you look at the the tape of that team, all right, and then you see them in person. They're not even in the same realm of the two teams that won the national championship. Uh, and at Ohio State, obviously, very uh, very loyal to Zach Smith, but was it absolute misplaced loyalty? Don't want to jump the gun on any of this. It's not it's not fair because we all know that. Around here, but sometimes when you jump the gun on something, mistakes are made. And that's what you get concerned with. That you, you want the story out there so quickly, and you want the resolution of it so quickly that you make mistakes in covering the story. Now, right now, this is going to be up to Gene Smith, and it's going to be up to probably the president of Ohio State as to how they want to handle this going forward. Because there are reports that he knew about the 2009 incident with Zach Smith when he was at Florida. This was not one, a one-time thing with him. Now, you're asking why Ryan Day is going to be the interim coach while they try and piece this puzzle together and have Urban on paid administrative leave. Here's my thoughts on that, because people are wondering, why not Kevin Wilson? Why not Greg Schiano? Kevin Wilson does bring with him a little bit of baggage from Indiana of alleged player abuse. All right, so check that one out. Greg Schiano, I think it's more than just all the, all the swirl around when he was going to get offered the Tennessee job. I mean, it's part of it. But he's also been on the staff longer. Ryan Day joined the staff last year. He's the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. Okay. So now you're picking somebody to run the team that is A, a coordinator, and B, has had the least amount of time on the staff. You're saying, well, why is that important? Think of what they're saying at Ohio State. Courtney Smith claims all the wives knew. Well, 
Ryan Day would be in the category of being with the program for only a year, there's a good chance that he'd have the least knowledge of anybody. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome back. Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. More on Urban Meyer. Obviously, his tenure at Florida, he was there for six years. He won two national championships there in his six years at Florida. But there was also another part to what happened at Florida. And, you know, and he had, and, and this was a different time. I realize that, you know, we're talking only 10 years ago, but this was a different time. 10 years ago than what we're seeing now. And at Florida during his six years, there were 31 players arrested during his time at Florida. 31 of them. And of the 31, 10 were accused of crimes ranging from misdemeanor battery to felony domestic assault. There was also felony theft and also domestic battery. And there are many people that wondered how much control he had over his program at that particular time. Remember the Steelers drafted running back Chris Rainey from Florida? Remember they got rid of Chris Rainey from Florida, and the reason was because of what he was accused at while he was at Florida? Now, by the way, when you look at the 31 individuals that were arrested at Florida, including 10 accused of crimes from misdemeanor battery to felony domestic assault guess who is not included in the arrest total the graduate assistant coach named Zach Smith who was arrested in 2009 for allegedly shoving his pregnant wife against a wall Uh, and of course Urban Meyer did explain that Shelley and he got involved after that to try and get them counseling Uh, so and he also denies any knowledge, by the way, of knowing about a 2015 incident, uh, even though Zach Smith's now ex-wife says, no, nah, that's not true. So these are some of the issues that he had at Florida. He's obviously had a, a better, I mean, there's been a better record at Ohio State until this came up. And when this came up, it then starts to add in with everything he's had during the course of his career. The problem that Ohio State has right now is can they move forward with this with him as the head coach, or do they feel, especially in today's atmosphere, that they need to cut and go? We're going to find out. Uh, Brian Hartline is now the wide receiver coach. Um, and this is... Uh, for them, this is a, I mean, especially right now before the season, it doesn't really matter when, but it, it does come down. I understand loyalty. I, I've got that. And you get attached to somebody, you want to believe in them, you want to believe them and so forth. But at the same time, there are just certain lines that can't be crossed. And it's one thing that the Me Too movement has done. They, they've explained in no uncertain terms. You can't even you can't even gray a line, let alone cross it. Zach Smith was accused of dramatically crossing that line. 
I believe the number has added up to what nine incidents or something like that over the course of their marriage uh, it's um how much he knew who knows but just knowing about one then becomes problematic so that's what they're facing at at Ohio State and uh he was placed on administrative leave practice does begin tomorrow he says he doesn't want to make this a distraction for his team that was his quote uh it is automatically a distraction for your team it's automatic and now we'll see where Ohio State goes from here and and again I think Ryan Day was picked because A is a coordinator and B he would have the least knowledge of anybody on the staff because remember what Courtney Smith said all the wives knew well Ryan Smith wasn't there or excuse me Ryan Day was not there in 2015 he didn't join the staff till a year ago so coordinator quarterback coach Potential, potential to have the least knowledge of anybody in the staff about what's going on. I think that's the reason they went in that direction. That tells you something, too, that they went in that direction if that, if my theory holds water, and I think it does. I think they went with the guy that's a coordinator, and so they didn't go down, they didn't pick the tight ends coach, right? Uh, they picked the coordinator, but they also picked the one that would have the least knowledge potentially of what was going on on the staff over the years. Because again, Courtney Smith said, all the wives knew. So there you go. Uh, That's what they've done. They placed them on administrative leave. They're investigating it. And Urban Meyer, who will not be with his uh, will not be with his team tomorrow when they open practice. Uh, You know, it's uh, the the shift has been so dramatic, and Ohio State usually does a great job, and Meyer does a great job of controlling the narrative around him. That's what's been remarkable about watching this, is that you know they have always uh, under Urban. I mean, think about his tenure at Ohio State starting in uh, in 2012. They've always controlled the narrative around them. You know, J.T. Barrett got into a little bit of an incident. Zeke Elliott got into an incident. But they always controlled the narrative around it. And Meyer was always the calm, cool, collected guy steering the ship in front of the press conference and controlling the narrative around him all the time. This is one where you could tell when they went to Chicago, when they went to Chicago, you could tell that for the first time in his tenure at Ohio State, they didn't have control over the narrative around them. And Meyer, you know, it's designated. You have to stand up there for the period of time while you're being asked questions. You can't walk out. You can't cut the press conference off. You can't leave it. And you could tell as much as he wanted to, uh, that he had to stay up there and had to take the heat. Well, what's happened is Brett McMurphy has gone out and done brilliant work in covering this. Brilliant work in covering it. He's covered this story better than anybody. He's covered it better than the Columbus Dispatch has, better than the Cleveland Plain Dealer. He's been able to 
get to Courtney Smith, talk to her, see exactly, you know, get her side of the story as to what's going on. And he's been able to break this story wide open, break it wide open as to what's going on. And that's the, you know, you would have thought, I mean, after Chicago, which was on the 24th that these comments took place, July 24th, which I played in the opening segment of the show. All right. It seemed like after that, okay, they let him go, they hire Brian Hartline, and the thought process is, okay, Ohio State's moving forward, and there wasn't even a thought in my mind, there's no thought in my mind, that they're placing him on administrative leave. None. I thought that when tomorrow rolled around, oh, you know, Urban Meyer would be coaching, and even though this would be something that would be brought up at every stop, that Ohio State would handle it. That's what I thought. Because, you know, but now they they lost complete control of this. And part of it is Brett McMurphy worked as a reporter to get as much information out there as possible. Now, let's be careful as to what's true and what's not. That is the key, right? Okay, let's not jump the gun on conclusions. Let's not assign guilt if there is no guilt. But if there is guilt, then let's assign it and let's assign it in a tough way. Let's see what their investigation and how it plays out. Let's see how Brett McMurphy and others are their reporting and how it plays out. Because what's going to happen is that it's not going to be just Brett McMurphy's story anymore. It is then going to be everybody else now investigating. Now, you know, the Columbus Dispatch is probably all in trying to get as much information as they can. The Cleveland Plain Dealers probably all in getting as much information as they can. TV stations in Columbus. I mean, Columbus is the largest city in the in the state of Ohio. I mean, they've got heavy media coverage there. Let's see if anything else is unearthed that becomes a problem. All right, so that's how we've laid it out for you. Coming up, uh, I know Audrey Snyder is going to be coming up talk with her about this much more as we continue on news radio 1070 wkok when it comes to car buying there's the other guy's way and then there's the smc way the other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want the Subway motors way lets you take the time you need to browse ask questions and take the test drive and think on it for over 100 years the mirth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have the other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade no matter how much they say they will the smc way is their promise to to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hey, welcome back. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. 
Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This day in sports history, then in a few moments, we'll talk with Audrey Snyder. In 1921, eight White Sox players were acquitted of throwing the 1919 World Series. But in the end, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner of baseball, tossed all eight out of the game permanently. But they actually, in a court of law, were acquitted of the charges in 1919. 1938, bright yellow baseballs were used in a Major League Baseball game between the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals. It was hoped that the baseballs would be easier to see. Obviously, it did not catch on, but I can see what they were trying to do. Now, look, Wimbledon used to use white tennis balls forever. They were the last ones to go over to yellow or fluorescent tennis balls, which are easier to see for everybody. They were the last ones to do it. Baseball tried to do it in 1938. Remember Charlie Finley, the owner of the Oakland A's? He wanted orange baseballs because he thought it would be easier to see. 1992, Jackie Joyner took the gold medal in the heptathlon for the second consecutive Olympiad. 2012, Michael Phelps won his 16th gold medal when he won the 200-meter individual medley. With the victory, he became the first male swimmer to win the same event at three consecutive Olympics. How about that? Athens, Beijing, London. For Michael Phelps doing so on this date in 2012. All right. So... A lot to talk about. Penn State football camp does get underway tomorrow. And uh, we've had questions, by the way, from people who have asked, like, why why is camp starting a little bit later this year? Because remember, last year it started July 31st. And last year it started on July 31st because they eliminated for the first time two-a-days last year. Well, all they did was take the allotted two-a-days the second practices, and they kicked them to the front of the schedule, the NCAA. The NCAA kicked the allotted two-a-days that you can have and kicked those second practices to the front of the schedule. So you have the same number of practices as the year before. Well, I think everybody realized about halfway through camp last year that, wow, camp is really going on for a long, long time. It's not like an NFL camp where you go for a period of time and then you play a preseason game. In fact, the first preseason game is coming up tonight. The Hall of Fame game is tonight. Then the first series of preseason games will be next week. What everybody realized last year was that camp was too long. So they, they lopped a week off of it. Well, maybe not that extreme, but they ended up knocking, what, four days? Four days off of camp. That's the reason why they did it. Because they realized by just taking those extra practice, those, those two-a-day practices, the second practices on the designated days, and flipping them to the front of the schedule as one-a-days, made, made camp too long. So everybody's going to start tomorrow, including Penn State. Audrey Snyder has made the move to the Athletic. It is great to have her with have her with us. Congratulations on the move to the athletic, and uh, welcome, Audrey. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. It's been, it's been a blast so far, and heck, I think we're we're just getting started with the season right around the corner. 
Yep, season right around the corner. First day of camp happens to be tomorrow, but obviously we will get to that in a moment, but obviously there are other issues that supersede that. Uh, Urban Meyer has the ability to usually go into any press conference in any venue and really control the narrative and and talk about what he wants to talk about. In Chicago, he could not, and it seems like he Mm -hmm. lost control of it. What's your opinion? Well, Steve, I mean, I think what he said in Chicago and the fact that he could have, you know, listened to the blows on the moon, um, but instead danced around it, and then by that afternoon didn't want to get into specifics of it. And now you see this whole thing kind of coming full circle with what Brett McMurphy reported yesterday and everything that's come to light about what he and his wife Shelley knew and potentially when they knew that. Um, you, you know, you see the whole timeline, and I think it's we're in a day and age where people, you know, if they try and hide things like this, eventually it is going to come out. Um, there are just too many resources for it not to, and and that's what we saw. And, you know, you look at Ohio State, what they do last night, of course. Um, I don't know, see where they go from here. I mean, obviously, they launched the investigation. You have to wait to get all the facts. Um, but certainly, uh, I'd be curious as to how many other hires, not just at Ohio State, but anywhere, uh, have been made where you haven't, you know, deeply delved into a person's background. You know, I think this has probably happened more so than we think or more so than we'd like to admit. He's Earl Bruce's grandson. Earl is one of Urban Meyer's stated mentors who got Earl, uh, who got Urban going in the coaching profession. And Zach Smith's been with him a long time, Andre, all the way back as a mm-hmm. player and then at Florida and so forth. You and I both know how, you know, look, loyalty is important, and we know that sometimes loyalty stretches how far you will go with, with, some, with somebody. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he even said in that press conference that in 2009 – he and Shelley tried to counsel or get them counseling, uh, knowing what it had happened to that point in 2009. To me, that that's, that statement right there is is one that mm-hmm. opens the door to trouble, because that tells you right away they knew what was going on. Absolutely, and the text message exchange you looked at yesterday, um, where you know she says to Shelley or Shelley, I'm sorry, Shelley responds with you know he scares me or that scares me something like that. Um, I mean that's alarming. How that doesn't. You know, how you don't follow up on that, um, I just don't get that, Steve. And, you know, we're always here and we see it, of course. We're all these coaches are going a million miles per hour, 100 different directions and all that. Um, but at what point um, has winning outpaced humanity, right, and kind of doing the right thing and following up? Uh, and that just, I think, you know, the more we see scandals throughout college football, um, regardless of the level or, you know, what it may be, I think that's kind of what it always comes down to is what are you willing to do to win? Um, you know, you look at Baylor, you look at Penn State, you look at this. I mean, what kind of when is enough going to be enough? Um, and are any programs out there consistently doing it the right way? I mean, who knows? I'll say this about Courtney Smith. In everything that's been filed about her, there are no Jane Doe reports. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? It's always her name has mm-hmm. been on everything. She's been willing to come out and, and be very open about her side of the story. Uh, from you know whether it's a police report or whether it happens to be uh, in, in the press. What is your opinion of that? Because it is alleged that she's the one that's gone through living hell for a long time. Absolutely. I mean, that's I think again in all these cases, if you look at 
victims and alleged victims, right, depending on the case, um, and for them to come forward and use their actual name, I mean, that's insanely courageous. You know, you look at that, and what I don't like to see and what we always see whenever something like this pops up is then you see some of the reaction, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, and people, because they're automatically connected to this team, whether it's an alma mater or they've just always been a fan of a team, they then always seem to turn on the victim and say, oh, you know, this, this couldn't be it, it couldn't be it. And you see this pattern of victim shaming, and that's why people, of course, then are hesitant to come out. Um, but, yes, I mean, what she's been doing, what she's been saying, uh, the interview yesterday, all those things, I mean, that's just really, really courageous uh, to do such a thing. And I can't even imagine or fathom what she's going through at the moment. In trying to put two and two together on this, Ryan Day, by the way, is one of the hot young coaches out there. He's 39. I understand. He's a Chip Kelly disciple. He was the offensive coordinator against Penn State in the Pinstripe Bowl. He was with Chip in Philadelphia, with Chip in San Francisco. I know Mike Vrabel tried to hire him as the Titans offensive coordinator in the offseason when he got the Tennessee job. I know that he actually was the guy that I think Mississippi State, before Joe Moore had won. Mm -hmm. He got a big raise at Ohio State. But there's another part to this to me in putting two and two together. He's only been on the staff for a year, thus he might have potentially, and maybe his wife, same story, because remember, Courtney Smith says all the wives knew, would have the least amount of knowledge of what's going on. To me, that's two plus two, possibly equaling four as to why he's the one that gets the interim job. Well, and I think, too, you look at the other candidates there, right, and Greg Schiano and his past, you know, and you look yep. at that, and, I mean, how interesting would that have been had Larry Johnson been the interim guy uh, there, you know, I mean, that would have just from a, a Big Ten perspective, a Penn State, Ohio State perspective would have been really weird, um, but, I mean, you're right, you know, I think you see kind of these, you know, skeletons in people's closet, and, you know, there's a reason why Schiano is, you know, isn't the head coach right now, right, I mean. I think you see these guys. Same thing with, um, same thing with Kevin Wilson. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I think, a reason why they made the move that they did. Um, and I'm sure part of it's a PR move, right? I mean, I think everything, every move that these big time programs make, they're always thinking kind of one step ahead and what's, you know, what could the blowback be and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Ohio State, how many people knew? Um, what did they know? I mean, I, it's going to be a heck of an investigation and, I guess, too, the next thing is the timetable, right? How long does the investigation take? Um, and, hey, training camp starts, Steve, so you got that going on there, too. Right, exactly. I want to get the training camp for Penn State now in a moment. I'll say this. When it comes to the truth, I don't care when the season starts. And when it comes to training camp, you know, the truth supersedes camp and supersedes, and you want to get the absolute truth. That way you make the right decisions. Uh, Penn State will start its training camp tomorrow, and, of course, uh, four weeks from Saturday they will take Appalachian State, uh, take on Appalachian State in the opener. What on your check, uh, on your boxes that you'd like to check as to what Penn State uh, you're interested in the preseason? Mm-hmm. That's funny you asked you. I was just finishing up the story about that. <laughs> uh, but, I, mean, <laughs> I think definitely priority objective number one, it's the linebackers and particularly the middle linebackers, because once they have that, and keep in mind the timetable for that isn't going to happen within the first week, they're not going to name a starting middle linebacker within the second week. And the reason being, and it's what James Franklin outlined last week in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days, was that until they get through their installs, right, they start off very vanilla, and then they get more complex as camp rolls along, 
they can't evaluate these guys fairly until you have everything in place and these guys don't know what they're going to see and it's kind of, you know, a hodgepodge of looks. Um, so it's going to take some time. And I think Jan Johnson there is a guy that James Franklin complimented for being freakishly smart and having a really good off season. Um, but I also go back to a conversation I had with Brent Pry in June, and he said that he thinks Cam Brown is a guy who could potentially play all three linebacker spots throughout the course of the season. So you have options there, but once you have that guy in the middle, Steve Bain, of course, you have those moving parts. So for me, that would be objective one. And objective two, they're tight ends. Um, I don't think Penn State, within the coaching staff's mind right now, knows who their starting tight end is going to be um, for the season opener. And that's fine. I mean, all these guys were, except for Danny Dalton, were banged up in the spring. So they have limited opportunities. And how much those guys improve from the spring until now uh, will really tell us. But for me, that's middle linebacker in particular and tight ends. That would be one and two. Mike Kosicki, to me personally, is as fine a pass-catching tight end as I've seen in in college football. Mm-hmm. You and I both know when it came to the blocking part, Mike tried, but it didn't always work. Uh, can mm-hmm. Penn State's running game, because Sanders is obviously a talented guy along with others, can Penn State's running game actually yardage-wise improve because of a veteran offensive line with tight ends that will throw their nose in there? I think so, Stephen, to put your in my mind because I just was writing this for my story as well. Um, you know, 1,271 <laughs> rushing yards is what Barkley had last year. Um, and I do think Miles Sanders, as crazy as it seems, with I believe 50, much 56 career carries up until this point, I think he can pass that. And I, I think, you know, like you said, you look at this offensive line and, you know, maybe they make a move at center and maybe they plug Michael Mennett in there and move Connor McGovern. That's something that for fans to keep an eye on in camp if they make a change there. Um, but regardless, you return an offensive line that you can make the argument they return five starters, um, but one starting spot up for grabs that Michael Mennett um, seems like a lot to take. So that helps. And I think Steve Nick Bowers could be that guy. Uh, you look at his size to maybe help them. As, as a blocker, I mean, I think the athleticism is there one healthy for him to be, you know, the lead pass-catching tight end. But I think as a blocker, he could really help them. Um, and the fact, too, that from the limited opportunities, limited reps that we've seen Miles Sanders, he doesn't dance around as, as much as Saquon Barkley did. Um, that was the one knock on Barkley, and I think it's hard to say it's a knock on, right? I mean, you also saw the highlight reels that came because of those types of moves. But Sanders is a guy who's more going to hit the hole and go. Um, so I think you factor all of that together, Steve. And I do think that statistically, at least from a rushing perspective, he could have a better year than Barkley did last year. Uh, next part is how interested as to how the, the the kicking part turns out. Blake Gilligan figures in somewhere in here. We know mm-hmm. at the very least as a putter. How do you look at the kicking part of it? It's huge. I mean, they need a field goal kicker, and the way James Franklin spoke last week, he said based off of what he's been hearing from Blake Gilligan from workouts this summer, that Gilligan, while he's comfortable doing kickoffs as well, believes that there's another guy on this roster who will take that spot. So Penn State, you know, will have somebody doing, most likely somebody doing kickoffs, someone different doing field goals and extra points, which I think uh, very well could be freshman Jake Pinnegar. And then, of course, Bill again will handle punting as usual. Um, but that's huge, Steve. I mean, I think teams and fans especially, you never realize how important it is 
until you don't have one of those, right? Um, so there's a lot of pressure, I'd say, on Jake Penninger because they have those scholarship invested in, in him because the spring, you know, wasn't all that great um, for, for Penn State and for the special teams and the way things weren't there. Um, so we're going to have to see, but absolutely, I think ultimately we'll have, we'll have three different guys handling those three responsibilities. But if they struggle on kickoffs, still a team can do that and punt, and Penn State is okay with them doing both. When you have a veteran quarterback that has had success like Trace McSorley, can he over does a, a a guy like that in a position like that? Can he over, can does that allow a team to overcome a couple things they don't have yet? Absolutely, I think James Franklin always uses the term eraser um, and says that when you have a guy like McSorley who's you know been through it all, seen it all, um, that can definitely help you. And I think you know. Earlier on in his career, we always say, okay, well, the mobility would help Penn State extend plays and kind of buy the offensive line some time. Um, but now you look and you say, okay, there's a change in the running game. Although I think they're going to be okay there, um, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. They're not going to come out of the gate. Uh, well, maybe against App State they will, but come out and just kind of roll right away. I mean, these things, especially in conference play, take time. Um, but, you know, a savvy veteran quarterback to me, accounts for so much and we hear coaches especially James Franklin say so many times that the biggest benefit a team can have is having 50 year seniors on the roster and what a difference that makes and Penn State has a few of those this year especially you look at key positions and you see a guy like a Cole Farmer, a um, guy like Amani Rory, of course McSorley I mean they have guys with that big time experience plus the nucleus of this roster has already been through so much and seen so much and been in so many primetime marquee games. Um, but I think all of that, Steve, really accounts for quite a bit. And final questions about Tommy Stevens. What can you what what do you think he means to this roster during the course of the season? He means a lot. I mean and I wrote about this this summer on kind of the deep dive on Tommy Stevens and his background. And the funny thing was, whoever I talked to, whether it was you know high school coach, his dad, I kept going down the list, and everybody kept saying, "Oh, Tommy's always been a team first guy, you know, coach's son kind of thing." Um, and that mentality, I think, means a lot when you're on a roster. Uh, the fact that he opted to stay after looking around certainly means a lot. But from a numbers perspective, I don't think that his role is going to change much than it did last year. Um, I had a conversation with James Franklin this summer about that, um, and Franklin said as much. You know, he doesn't expect that it's going to be drastically different, but you know, there's always that opportunity for that package to evolve, as we saw last year, and the fact of what it, what it does to opposing defenses and all of that. Um, I just think it's it's almost limitless to what we see from Tommy Stevens um, and how they use him. So number wise, it might not be all that different. But where you had those lulls last year where he kind of disappeared for games at a time, which fans always like to point out, um, I don't think we'll see this. I think, if anything, it's going to be a more, more of a staple, more of a consistent presence in the offense. Audrey, again, congratulations. The Athletic is uh, knocking it out of the park every day in so many areas, and you're now part of that family. So congratulations on that. Well-deserved, well-earned, and I look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it, and I'll see you Saturday. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.